Hello, my name is Dustin Hosseini and this is the Digital Education Practices Podcast. Hello, and today I'm joined by uh, two students from the management school, Josh Chatfield and Sam Hunt. Josh, would you like to introduce yourself? Yeah, hi Dustin, hello everyone. Yeah, my name's Josh. I'm uh, an economics and mathematics student at Lancaster. Um, I'm also, along with Sam, um, one of the academic reps for economics. And uh, I'm also in the Gossel Investment Fund, which is uh, the student-run investment funds um, in the management school uh, run by the Investment and Finance Society. Uh, So everything together, that's what I get busy. And I've just finished my first year. Okay, perfect. And uh, Sam, how about you? Hi, guys. I'm Sam, um, first-year economics student, also an academic rep, as Josh mentioned. And um, yep, just finished my first year as well. Okay. And today, I think you wanted to talk a bit about your reflections on how the summer term has gone. So term three and a few other things. So how online learning relates to work and other things. So Josh, would you like to kick off? Sure. Yeah. So I mean, as you mentioned, summer term uh, was vastly different to Michael Mass and uh, Lent term. Everything went digital all of a sudden. Um, I think the university actually coped really well with the change. And interestingly, so I do, I major in economics and maths, um, and then I did a minor in accounting and finance. And all three subjects took a slightly different approach to how the learning went. And so in mathematics, we had, I think, about 27 lectures throughout the term. Each lecture was sort of a recording of his screen. Each video, about 15 to 20 minutes long. And then once a week, we had to do sort of um, a workshop paperwork with regards to that. Um, With economics, it was um, slightly different. So we were shown uh, lecture recordings from previous years. So these were long, so less videos, but longer videos. And again, same thing, watching those. And then we had uh, workshops on Teams with our tutors, and we would hop in once a week to whichever time frame suited us correctly. And then with accounting and finance, it it was quite similar, actually, to mathematics. We had three videos a week, each video about 45 minutes uh, and then we had um, workshops to do on top of that. On overall, I I don't actually think the the switch to digital was too bad. I think especially when the the lecture videos are shorter, I think they're very engaging and I think because because they're slightly shorter, you don't need to commit your attention to such a longer period of time. And so yeah, so with regards to mathematics and accounting and finance, I actually really liked it that way. And because they were pre-recorded, I was able to align my learning with also my free time as well. Obviously living at home and living in, you know, times like we are at the moment with COVID, there was actually quite a bit quite a bit of stuff going on in my household. So it was nice to be able to, you know, as I say, have the lectures timed around me um, when I was free. Uh, so from that point of view, I, I quite enjoyed the shift to digital education. With regards to the workshops, um, again, I think I think the workshops actually are slightly more engaging when they are digital. Yeah, I was speaking with some people earlier, and when you're in a classroom and you're doing a workshop, it's very much, you know, the, the teacher asks the questions and then, you know, whichever student sticks their hand up gives the answer and sort of you move on. Whereas I think with digital education, using platforms like Teams, um, it gives a really good platform for everybody to answer. And I think also students don't feel the nerves as much you know there's often a fear of of being wrong in a classroom if you're the one who sticks your hand up and and you get the question wrong it can be quite embarrassing whereas on teams students i should say feel 
feel less restricted in, in sharing their opinion and less scared of getting it wrong. One thing which the mathematics department did that I found quite effective is they would ask a question and they would give you six possible answers. You know, they would put six messages on A, B, C, D. Then a student would like the comments if they thought, you know, that answer was the correct answer. And um, I mean, of course, people can see who's liked what comment, but generally people don't. And I think the the participation rates from that point of view were um, much, much higher than they would have been, you know, if they were back in the classroom. Um, and so overall, from, from my point of view, I didn't find the, the switch to digital education too bad. And so, yeah, I mean, that, that's sort of a general overview from me. What do you think, Sam? Um, yeah, I sort of echo mainly what you've said so far. Uh, I think what I'd add is that you're definitely right. You fit that on the head with, um, because it's sort of, you have, you're more anonymous when you're watching these workshops and stuff. You, there's not that fear of being in a lecture and asking a question that you think other people might think is stupid. So it sort of takes that psychological element away and, you, you do see a bit more engagement. However, I, I feel that I still think face-to-face is, is sort of the best sort of engagement you can have between a student and lecturer. So even though that's there's more engagement in terms of number of students with one lecturer, it may not be as like efficient and beneficial. And what I mean by that is um, it, it's quite difficult. If, say if you're trying to word a question, you're really trying to uh, portray how you don't understand the specific aspect of it, then you might not get the answer that you're looking for and you, you don't want to be embarrassed and, and say that they didn't answer the question. So you sort of just accept the response they give. Uh, and that's why uh, I feel office hours really haven't can't be replaced. And I don't, I don't blame uh, the uni for that. However, office hours are quite valuable where you can sort of just have you know, a good exchange with your lecturer and really get to the bottom of any issues you're having. And um, so I think that's missed in that sort of context. But um, no, there's definitely some benefits with um, just being able to be at home and um, ask questions on the chat, which are answered, and there's no fear of it being uh, silly or viewed as um, stupid. Mm-hmm. Okay, actually, so basically, they would ask questions. These were text-based questions, right? Yes, yes. Okay, and then I guess students would respond. Like you said, they would usually respond just by reacting to the text. Is that right? Um, I think that's sort of on Josh's end with the like text. I'm, all I can say is I'm from workshops, um, the the uh the people doing the workshops would be engaging with with the chat to make sure that when they're speaking they don't they don't uh, miss people asking questions about it and then they respond using their voice uh, obviously while you're watching them uh, do the questions I don't know if that's any different for you Josh when you're doing your maths ones yeah I sort of agree mostly um, I'd say the workshop tutors actually are mostly um, communicating by voice you know and that's giving the questions and giving the answers as well I mean they will occasionally. Uh, you know, put a message in the chat. Um, I've got a an economics workshop tutor who was particularly engaging, and he, you know, I, I think as a way of keeping participa- participation rates up and keeping students involved, he would often go to the chat and say, "Great answer, well done," or he would, you know, put the love heart on if someone did a really good answer, type of thing. What I was describing with liking the answers, that's something we more saw in mathematics because you know. One of the differences between maths and economics is maths, it's very much right or wrong. Economics is a much more discussion-based subject. And so with economics, in the chat, people often write uh, just a few sentences, not not too long, but just a few sentences on, you know, what they thought about the point being discussed uh, by the lecturer. Uh, whereas I say opposite in maths, in maths, it's what do you think was right. And just for context, I should have asked this earlier, but workshop is like a seminar, isn't it? 
Yes. Generally, you'll have three lectures a week, well, three hours worth of lectures a week. And then you'll have one workshop at the end of the week, normally, where you will be asked um, a variety of questions, discussion based questions, following on from what you've learned in the lectures that week. And what I was going to ask was, I think Sam mentioned earlier about the, the office hours and how, of course, now we can't have those. But if there was an option to, you know, book into an office hour, whether it's face-to-face or digital, so it doesn't matter where it takes place, how do you think you guys would react to that or others might react to that? Well, I, th- I think that's a very good point because actually I sort of experienced that, not um, not directly, but um, I've had a an hour-long conversation with my academic advisor this year. That's sort of a good way of, uh, of gauging how it would be. And um, at the beginning, I was sort of concerned it might be a bit awkward, but um, it's also quite a good chance to, I think everyone's attitudes because they're at home. It was it was quite informal and it's quite, I felt quite at ease to sort of talk about things and how my year was going and my plans for the next few years at uni. As long as uh, on the sort of lecture um, professor side, it was sort of easy to conduct and it didn't take away too much of your day if it was if it was busy or so, it, it, it would be very beneficial because also I think people would be very relaxed in the home environments and you might see a, a higher sort of engagement of office hours than you actually did at uni on campus. I was going to say, following on from that point, Sam, you know, it can, it can be intimidating for some students perhaps to walk up to their professor's door, knock on the door and say, hello, I need some help. And I think rightly or wrongly in different contexts, but often you can you can sort of hide your nerves behind text sometimes. And so by office hours going digital, it will take the nerves out for some students and they will feel more free to drop a message to their lecturer and say, you know, and ask for some help. Um, so maybe, yeah, as Sam says, maybe participation rates for office hours uh, will increase the more digital we go. Okay, so from what I'm hearing then in that case, it might be beneficial if, if I guess, teachers, lecturers offered an option between either a live, so like a video, or maybe even a, a, a text-based one. Is that what I'm hearing? I mean, yeah, I certainly support that idea, given um, a lot of the times me and Josh are in uh, uh, student staff committee, committee meetings as reps, so SSC meetings. People were, were lecturers were joking, saying, at uni, oh, uh, I wouldn't have people coming to my office at all really and uh, that's what they're there for and people maybe are scared of doing that or just it's, it's not as easy for them to, to go directly to somewhere on campus whereas obviously that's not a problem doing it digitally from from your room or home or whatever i think also you know, sam you said earlier you had a chat with your advisor and it was very informal i think generally that at, at university i've gone to go and see lecturers and in general they are informal meetings you know they are they're human beings who are who are very happy to help. You know that you know, that's why they're teachers because they want to you know educate the younger generation. And I think maybe you know a lot of students don't attend or they don't go and visit their lecturers when they need help because you know maybe they worry it's going to be very formal or there's a certain like level of understanding they need to have before they go and ask some questions. When in reality, that you know that that doesn't exist. There, there shouldn't be that because, as I say, you know meeting professors outside of lectures is a relatively informal um, process. You know, there, there's no rules attached to it. There's no protocol attached to it. Okay, so I, I guess what I'm hearing is um, really it would be nice and perhaps a positive step if there was different options of meeting with, with students, whether obviously it's a face-to-face or if when we go back face-to-face teaching or if it's a digital, uh, so a virtual, you know, like a webinar almost. But 
you know, a Teams meeting where we have our videos on, or just even a chat, a text-based chat. I guess in that sense, it would open up the different, what is it, types of meeting with the lecturers that would also help students who might be more shy to just go and knock on the door. Exactly. But I think also, um, and I'm not sure whether you, you want to bring this up later, but I've, I've often thought about students from a social point of view as well. Um, although students want to come out of university being massive brains and, and being very, very clever and intelligent, employers aren't necessarily always looking for the biggest brains. They're looking for students who are academic, but they also have good interpersonal skills. People in industry, they work in teams all the time. And, you know, people need, and in order to be a good team player, you need to have, you know, confidence to be able to speak to people. And I worry that, you know, if, you know, have meetings with your academic tutor do become, you know, text-based and, you know, everything done digitally. And, you know, yes, it does encourage perhaps students who are more shy to, to, to come out and speak. You also don't want to fall into the trap of allowing some students to sort of go through university with very little human interaction, if you like. Yes, they might turn up to lectures, but that doesn't necessarily mean they're speaking to people. And so you, you do need to make sure that, you know, as I say, you don't want, you know, students ideally would be well-rounded and academic and also, you know, I'm not saying incredibly confident to speak in front of crowds, but, you know, be confident enough to ask a professor for help. And I think there is an attribute of being able to go to someone and saying, hello, I need help in a physical sense as apart from over text. Okay, no, I would agree. And, um, well, yeah, asking for help in any context is always difficult, but it's something that we have to kind of, we do have to learn to step up a bit and have a bit of courage to ask for help. And whether it's help on, you know, you don't understand a question or it's the same kind of thing with mental health. So asking for help generally can be seen as something uh, that makes people shy, I guess. Mm. Well, sorry, Dustin, on that, on that point, Dustin, um, mm. sorry, I've been... Um, sort of looking at internships and I'm doing an industry placement year as part of my degree and when you look at at the different companies and they say what their ideal candidate looks like it often says a student who's not afraid to come and ask for help you know these companies are taking on students they're not expecting us to be you know fully fledged qualified um, you know masters of, of the industry they understand that they're taking on a student and at the end of the day, they want you to ask questions because they want you, because essentially, you know, if you don't ask questions, you don't progress in the areas you're stuck on. Take that with a pinch of salt. So, um, and so, yeah, asking questions in an industry point of view is a really valuable skill. Uh, that's interesting. What about um, intercultural competency? What Do they talk about that much? Uh, well, uh, what do you sort of mean by that? What do I mean by that? Yeah, yeah. So on the job applications you've looked at, do they ever put that down as an attribute they, they want? Uh, what, how sort of diverse a thinking we are? Not diverse thinking, but working with different people from different cultures, languages, you know. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, the, the, the companies I'm, you know, I'm, I'm looking to move into sort of the financial sector and a lot of these big firms are multinational and they do always say, they, they, the companies like to sell themselves on how rich their culture is and how, you know, diverse they, you know, they employ people from all these different backgrounds. And they do ask, well, they, often in interviews, they'll, they'll ask you how, how often do you work with people from a different background? Um, and so, yeah, in answer to your question, yeah, it is important to them. Um, they, they do ask about it. Okay. 
Just curious. Um, Very relevant, actually, for the moment. So, Well, yes. I mean, one of the questions I was going to ask earlier was um, only because we are using Teams, not any, any other reason, but when did you first start using that? And going back even further, say, to like school, did you use anything similar? And this is a question. Well, why don't we start with Sam, I guess. So this is about Microsoft Teams in general or similar software? Teams and similar software. So like, when did you first, uh, uh, when was your first exposure or use to that type of collaborative communicative software? No, that's, that's a good question. I mean, I'm trying to think of a specific memory, but I, I definitely be confident saying that I use some sort of uh, communicative system with other students in my sort of A-level years. So a couple of years back, um, whether it, for, it was for, for projects or something, it wasn't necessarily saying uh, the, the school saying this is the software you're going to use. But we sort of went out on a limb and um, tried to find one that would be easy for us to work with. Um, but no, specifically at uni, this is the first time I've used Microsoft Teams. And um, as you've seen, because of what this pandemic has, has, has created, there's lots of these softwares popping up now, and there's lots to choose from in terms of like so businesses can work and communicate together. But specifically with Teams, because I've been using other Microsoft um, softwares and applications for years, um, it's very easy to navigate and uh, you can't really fault it. It's very simple, which I think is the main thing with these things is it can be very off-putting for students if they go on and they don't, they don't know where to find things because it's confusing as such. Um, I mean, I've, I've personally used Discord, not for education-wise, but for like for leisure sometimes in gaming or um, whatever. And it's a similar sort of idea. But um, I find it very sort of blocky and um, it's quite difficult to navigate and uh, there's lots of subsections to bit and it's not very clear cut. You so, mean um, Teams, yeah? Yeah, 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 Teams. I meant Demet Discord um, when I used it before, but Teams is much more clear cut and simple and I, I quite like it. What is Discord anyway? Because I don't think a lot of people, some people might have heard of it, but some wouldn't have heard of it. Yeah, so Discord is like, I'd say, sort of the number one communicate system for, for people that like to sort of play video games with each other, I guess, for like on like computers specifically, because other consoles have their own uh, within it, the communicate systems. But um, it is very similar where you, you create these channels and you can join so you can call with your friends and those sort of things and also message. And it's, it's quite old going now. I think it was one of the first ones sort of to pop up. It's not really changed much over the years. And, and like I said, it, it, it can get a bit... Um, uh, sort of overflowed of information because I'm I'm a part of um, two of the Discord channels at um, some Lancaster societies, and I very rarely go on it because I don't like using it, and I'd rather use other systems to call, such as Teams or or on the console or or so forth. Josh, what about you? For the same question. So during my time at A level, we just generally use Moodle um, and a very similar setup to the Moodle at Lancaster. You know, we had our own. Uh, I went to a school called Balcaris. We had our own Balcaris email set up, not linked to Microsoft in any way. And and so, yeah, Teams is a very new concept to me. I only started using it when I got to Lancaster. Before then, yeah, it was generally just submitting work and finding work on Moodle. But but even that, we, we didn't really use Moodle very much. We were quite old school in a way. We The teachers would, you know, we had a big computer database that we all shared and you'd have different folders so you'd have sort of the h drive for students the r drive for shared documents another drive um, privately for teachers and then the, the teachers would say okay if you go to the r drive and then you click on that folder that folder that folder you'll get to these documents and then use them from there 
And so moving to university has been quite different, actually, as I said, because it's gone from, you know, searching through files the old fashioned way now to having, you know, on Teams. I think it's really good how you can you can have a group together. One person can upload a file and everybody in the team can be editing the file at the same time. Being in the investment fund, we've done that quite often for I did an accounting and finance project earlier this year with some people and where we all had to sort of put a paragraph together. Um, and so I put the main documents on Teams, added everybody to a team, and then we all came and edited our individual paragraphs. And we also that allowed us to read over everybody else's paragraphs to sort of proofread them. Um, and so, yeah, sort of ultimately, yeah, this is quite new, the whole, the whole switch to Teams for me. And that collaborative document writing, did, did you have any issues? Did anyone need to kind of learn how to use it or did they just kind of get on with it? I really like Teams. I think I think generally it's pretty easy to understand. And uh, I think like like a lot of things actually with technology, if you actually understand what it's capable of doing, it actually becomes quite a powerful tool. You know, I think in Excel, Microsoft Excel is a classic example. Um, a lot of people don't like Excel, but you know, recently I've done some courses on it. When you actually understand the full potential of Excel, it becomes actually a really powerful uh, program to use. And, and yeah, linking that to Teams, uh, generally people got on fine with it. There weren't really many problems. I mean, it was quite a simple concept, really. Um, everyone's in a team. I uploaded the documents. All people have to do is double click on the documents and they're live changing it now. Um, it's, it's generally a pretty simple idea, document sharing. Okay, and uh, Sam, just interestingly, working from home, how how have you felt working from home? Because I know for me it's been a big change being in my in my room at university where I could sort of roll out of bed and I'm on my desk and then, you know, a one minute walk out of my front door and I'm in my lecture theatre. Now it's sort of a very different environment. I wondered how how's like your your work schedule been affected, if at all? Um I, I think there's there's definitely pros and cons. For, for each individual the way you sort of tackle things because a lot of people say it's great I love being at home I love being able to just sit in my bed and do my work sort of um, but other people will probably surprisingly to them say that um, I actually hate it because I, I can't focus there's too many distractions in my house I've, I've got my I'm on my phone and taking breaks too much of the time or I, I want to read or or go and spend time with my family and so people might suggest that um, they preferred being either at work or in uni with other people on campus in a library sort of studying and I think specifically myself um, it's definitely an issue I've had like for many years is when I'm at home on my laptop having having sort of doing a long stint of work uh, I sort of move as many of my distractions away whether that's my playstation or my phone just to sort of get in that in that mindset and it's quite difficult for me and I'm sure others will, will agree with that as well. Um, so in that regard, I miss being at uni and uh, being in the library because that's when I've definitely done some of my best work and sort of being productive. But then um, it is sort of easier at home um, if you can get in that mindset to achieve things because then you, you take away the the time for traveling and then uh, having to, you know, ferry around campus to hand in papers and that sort of things. It's, uh, it's, it's, if you tackle it right, it's a lot less stressful, I think. Yeah, I think interestingly, what I what I really pick up on is is sort of at university we all egg each other on. You know, if I'm studying and everyone else in my flat is studying, then it sort of encourages me to study as well. At the moment, you know, I'm an only child. I live at home with my parents, and they're both off at work, unrelated to university stuff. 
Um, and so, you know, there's, I'm not surrounded by the people also learning. Um, and, you know, often, you know, it's the same when you're learning a language, when you're learning a language, I think it's, it's most effective to learn it with somebody else. And so you sort of egg each other on to, you know, learn, you know, let's learn this amount by the end of the week. Um, and I think it's the same with, with academia, you know, with, with maths, when, I, when we're learning a, a new type of process, we work as a team to try and make sure we master it by a set date. Whereas at home, I think there's less of that and you do need to be more self-motivated, which at times can be a difficult thing to, to have to do. And I think because because a lot of the stuff is now pre-recorded, there's no incentive necessarily to be out of bed early on for that 9am lecture. You lose structure in your day because you think, oh, I can listen to it later. Um, and I think when you start to lose that structure, it's a very dangerous route you start taking because that follows on and follows on as day goes by. And then before you know it, by the end of the week, there's a whole load of stuff you wish you had done, but you hadn't have done. And so from that point of view, yeah, I, I think it can be tricky. As, as you say, it has its pros and cons. I think I've got a really good example to answer that. And um, as I haven't mentioned yet, but I, I did a minor this year in psychology. And one of the issues they had is um, after enrollment, they had a... Uh, they'd uh, oversubscribed with people on, on one specific module on 101. So there are too many people to fit into the lecture theatres for each lecture. So there was sort of a rolling rotor where um, a certain portion of students would be put into a, a lecture theatre and they'd watch the other the lecture in another theatre being streamed on a screen. And um, so I've been in that room before where I've just been watching someone talk in another room, uh, but it's coming through on the screen. And there's, there's no one engagement. People are just on their phones. They're just relaxing. They just some people don't even have their books open or pen and paper. It, it, and I think that just shows how when you're not in that environment where you sort of you feel bad if you're not even paying um, paying attention to lecture because you're sort of forced into a learning mode. People just sit there, and it, it, it's not like a, a personal fault that they don't care. You just it's really easy to sort of just go, yeah, I'm listening to it. I'll just go on my phone and make notes of this later or something. I think that's a good example. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's an interesting one um, because there's a, there's a slight connection, I guess. So in one sense, it's better to be face to face, but in another sense, if it's online, uh, smaller bytes is actually better. Maybe not better, but smaller bytes is good. I prefer smaller bytes. I mean, I, I think, as I say, in maths, we had 20-minute um, bytes, if you want to call them that. And I thought they were brilliant. I could, they were, you know, it was 15 minutes of to the point, this is what you need to know, this is how you do it. Um, you know, whereas in a two-hour lecture, you often think it's two hours and there's some stuff really, it, it's, it's not as compact and it's not as, as, uh, as gripping as, as a 15-minute video. Um, and so from that point of view, yes, I really, I really like the, the, the online snaps i think it, it, from from my point of view i think for those who are really dedicated and really keen to learning and, and on their subject i don't think going digital has that many hurdles i think if you're really determined i think you can overcome the hurdles i mean obviously there are some areas as we've mentioned that it is much better to be at university so yes it's much nicer to to see your to see your lecture face to face and so you can word your questions as you're thinking them but as i say i think if you are a really dedicated student who has a plan you know of you know an action plan a timetable throughout their day i do think you can overcome these barriers you know 
yes, it can be difficult sometimes to 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 ask your question via type. But you know, if if you struggle on that, then organise a video call with your lecturer. With the library facilities, yes, um, it's lovely to be in the library. Um, but again, if you're really dedicated, that concentration hopefully wouldn't be too much of an issue. Um, and a lot of the library resources are actually available online. A lot of the books you can access digitally. And I think that's something we might be seeing a lot more of in coming years, perhaps. So basically self-motivation, but also basically a passion for what you're studying about or what you're studying rather, uh, which is, it can be hard, you know, year one, you might not know exactly what you want to do, but then they're always, not to throw in a Harry Potter reference, but there's always the Hermione's of the group <laughs> who are so passionate and they just want to learn and soak up everything. But then you have the other ones who are a bit like more in the middle. I'm not really good at the Harry Potter references, but I guess Harry and Ron were a bit more like, what are we doing? We need some direction. What do you think lecturers could do to help students to develop that kind of self-drive, self-motivation? What can they do, if anything? Good question. Um, I think when... I think when they're doing online lectures or online workshops, I think it's key to to keep the students um, involved. So don't talk for an hour and then ask them some questions. Uh, talk for 10, 15 minutes and then ask them their opinion on something. Talk for another 10, 15 minutes and then ask them another question on it. I think maybe helping students with uh, maybe the layout of how they do their work. Maybe, you know, maybe if, if making notes is slightly easier, maybe, maybe if lecturers help them give a layout. I know, I know it's quite secondary school in a way, um, and, you know, some may agree or disagree with it, but if you can make the process of learning easier, then students will be more encouraged to learn. For example, you know, instead of having a blank sheet of paper and a lecturer saying, you know, over a podcast, okay, um, I'm going to talk to you, make notes. Instead of a lecturer gave someone a sheet of paper with a, a grid, for example, already on there, and on the grid it, it said, it sort of gave the titles of everything that you need to know, and, you know, all the students then had to do was fill in the blanks. That could be more engaging. And, you know, for an example of, you know, this isn't digital, this is before digital, this was back in Michael Mass and Lentum. But one of the differences between economics and mathematics was in mathematics, we get given a bunch of paperwork at the start of each module. We have we sit five modules per year. The paperwork is generally a lot of the lecture notes with blanks in. And so as the lectures went on, we would have to keep engaged because we would have to be constantly filling in the blanks. Whereas in economics, it's not, you, you know, you sort of make your own notes. And talking with my friends who also do economics and mathematics, we have spoken highly about those those lecturers in maths who give you half of what you need to know, and then your job is to fill in the rest. I think that's a really engaging way, um, and perhaps a way a method lecturers can use to keep engagements and keep people, you know, pointing in the same direction with regards to how academia is concerned. The education term or the pedagogy term is scaffolding. So scaffolding learning like you're scaffolding when you're building a building. And then you kind of take that away once people have developed enough or if we feel that they've developed enough, um, that they don't need as much help. But yeah, so what you're talking about is there's an appreciation, I guess, 
uh, or maybe even it would be motivating if lecturers were also teaching about learning how to learn. Is that right? Yeah, I'm not sure whether it needs to be part of the module. Maybe um, something extra on the side, maybe. I, I'm not sure. Yeah, you, it, be embedded. it could be embedded rather than completely separate. Yeah, perhaps. Um, and maybe, you know, maybe this is something with, with the workshops we do every week. Um, when instead of just asking questions, why, why don't they ask a question, but, um, you know, use scaffolding to help frame the answer, to help the student think about areas of the course, which perhaps they hadn't thought of before. And so, yeah, maybe from that point of view. Uh, okay, Sam, what do you think? Um, it's just got, sort of going back to what just mentioned a few minutes earlier, which is about the sort of small bites sort of idea. And that sort of goes for um, the signposting of things, maybe on Moodle, since that's the sort of interface most students use. And that's where um, it can be a bit disincentivizing, like for people to go to one specific link and have to work through a lot of text and a lot of content to find one specific thing they're looking for. So the example I can give is, is when I study for the contests I've done the first year, I go through all the chapter slides each week. And it's, it's funny because it's sort of the feeling where when I open one PowerPoint and I look in the bottom left corner and it says uh, there's 25 slides, I'm like, oh, this is a nice and short one. This, this will be good. And it's sort of that sense of accomplishment. And then I open the next one and there's 65 slides. And I'm like, oh, no, this is going to take yeah. ages. I know um, <laughs> yeah. So I guess to relate to that, what lectures can do is sort of, I, uh, the example I can think of is if you're teaching content and then normally you're, you're using questions to show how that it's applied. So um, I was saying, yeah, what, what lecturers can do, uh, as I was saying, is if they put specific videos up on um, uh, really specific parts of topics like the solo model, for example, then that could be down to five to 10 minutes as a video. And I know when students click on that, they'll go, yeah, I can sit for a five to 10 minutes video as opposed to 25 to 30 minutes because people might click on that and go, no, I don't have the time or I don't want to. Uh, that's sort of a psychological thing that I think exists in all of us. All right, Sam is typing something. All right. <laughs> okay. Um, I tell you what, Sam, what I'd like you to do is type exactly what you said. And then, Josh, if you could read it and maybe put a bit of context around it. Um, so basically say that um, Sam's connection's difficult now because... Uh, his family have come back home because a lot of students will be experiencing this. Like he's not alone. Um, I think another hurdle to jump is um, for, for the university is, is, you know, when back in the old days before COVID, it, it was all, it, you know, there was no problem with timing because everyone was in Lancaster. But at the moment, now you've got students dotted all around the world. Um, and if you have a live seminar, um, you know, a live Teams workshop, you know, it may be three o'clock in the afternoon for an English student, but it may be three o'clock in the morning for an Australian student. That's maybe something the university needs to think about. Exactly. The time differences are going to be wildly different. You know, if we have lots of students from many different countries, India, China, um, maybe even some North American, South American students. And I know that Sam is having a bit of difficulty. So Josh, do you want to summarize what he's saying at the moment? Yes. So, um, yes, yeah, so Sam... I think quite interestingly, he's had some has had some problems with his connection, which you know isn't just Sam. I think students, you know, all across the world really might will be going in and out of of um, of connection uh, at different times. Uh, so Sam's writing a message, 
Yes, and so there is a psychological element involved, and I completely understand what Sam is saying here. Sometimes, and, and it sort of links into the bite-sized chunks. What I was talking about with, you know, the 15-minute lectures in, in some subjects and the two-hour-long um, pre-recorded lectures in others, what Sam is saying is it's the same with, um, with PowerPoints. So often the best way of studying is to, um, is to look at PowerPoints, so economics do it, and they, they have some really good PowerPoints in the department. Um, and so do accounting and finance. But sometimes you'll open a PowerPoint and there's 20 slides, 18 slides, and you'll think, okay, this is good. It'll take me maybe uh, 45 minutes to go through it in total, um, making thorough notes and, and you know reading through the PowerPoint at the same time as, as looking through my textbook, I can have a good understanding within 45 minutes. Other times you'll open a, a PowerPoint document and you'll have... Um, you know, it'll say 45 slides. And, you know, what what Sam is saying, and, and I would definitely echo, it is quite a demoralizing feeling, um, you know, opening a document and you think, oh, God, 45, 45 slides, this is going to take me forever. Um, and although, you know, it's, it's a document I can, and it's not live, I can come and go as I please. You know, students want to start and finish something in one sitting if they can. And so, so yes, there is a psychological element involved with the longer PowerPoints uh, documents, and that does require students to have good planning and good preparation. Um, I'm just going to read what else Sam has put in his message. And while you're looking at that, um, I was just going to say, yes, part of what you're talking about, again, in in the world of education or pedagogy is called cognitive load. So if there's a lot of information thrown at uh, a learner, then for some, maybe not all, but probably the majority it can be a bit disconcerting um so i totally understand like if you see a, a slide deck that has 10 slides or a video that's 10 minutes versus one that's 30 minutes if it's 30 minutes on netflix i will watch it <laughs> if it's 30 minutes on an academic topic um then i'll make sure i have time to you know i'll schedule it in so to speak that way i don't get interrupted and actually very similar to what to what you've just said sam is saying although it might take two hours in total, psychologically, it's much nicer for a student to have their, um, to have their two hours worth of learning split up, I don't know, into, into four sessions of half an hour as opposed to one session of two hours, if that makes sense. So, as, you know, although the total amount is the same, psychologically, it's nicer to have that long amount of time split up as opposed to having to, to sit through it all at once. Um, and so that's what, so what Sam is really saying, there's a sense of accomplishment after watching a short video and making notes and working through a shorter presentation. Um, and see, so I totally agree with what with what Sam has said there. Yes, and I can't really say what I think, but my own personal experiences of when I was a student was I always looked forward to the hour sessions, but the hour and a half ones I didn't look forward to just because it was such a long time, unless it was really interesting. Mm. Uh, but you know, uh, everyone's different. So, well, it's the same in same in economics this year. In, in Econ One Hundred and One, we had two lectures per week. The Monday lecture was two hours long. The Tuesday lecture was one hour long, and the mood in the lecture theatre you could tell was much nicer on a Tuesday because it was a one hour lecture. Um, although the lecturer would sometimes give you a break in the middle of the two hour lecture, still, when you're coming to the last half an hour of the two hour lecture, students are starting to get a bit restless. Um, you know, it's a lot of, you know, it's and it, it's not just sitting there 
listening to an academic talk about their field. It's listening to it and having to, you know, actively making notes and actively committing it to memory. And so, yeah, it is a long, two hours is a long time to be, to be focusing. But then again, you know, is that, you know, are we being too, too kind in a way? You could argue, you know, when you get to the world of work, unfortunately, not everything is chopped up into half an hour um, assignments. Some projects do take days to do. Um, and when you're given, you know, in, in statistics, you can be given a whole bulk of data, which will take you um, like no, weeks to go through. And you need, you yourself need to be able to allocate your time effectively. You know, there isn't going to be a professor on the end of the line saying, okay, well, do this much by this date, do, much, do this much by this date. And, and you know, maybe, and, and, you know, maybe I'm just playing devil's advocate here, but maybe there is an argument for students, students should learn how to deal with a whole bunch of information at one time. No, that's a good point. And um, for some, it is they get that from school for others they need to kind of develop that in the first year um or even a bit longer it just depends on an individual basis almost because not everyone has the same schooling background before we wrap up here i was just going to ask because it, this has raised an interesting question you know the kind of sitting through two hours versus sitting through one hour um say that given depending on the subject uh, all lectures were to be no longer than one hour, but this meant that you would need to do blended learning. Uh, and this is just something I've thought of up the top of my head. Do you think people would be up for doing that? So if they were not guaranteed, but the vast majority of lectures were one hour, but then the other hour would be some form of blended learning where they actually go online and you know, engage that. Yeah. Could you um, sort of define your meaning of blended learning, please? So in other words, instead of having three hours face to face, you'd have like two face to face where you're sat in the lecture theater, maybe one hour each, but then that additional hour would be online. And sort of using websites yourself to, to research. Well, it'd be structured. So it would be either, as you were saying, shorter videos or maybe... Um, oh, so you're saying sort of two hours face-to-face -face and then one hour on Teams afterwards? It could be that. It could be anything, really. Interesting point. And I imagine for, for different subjects, it will vary. Um, for uh, me personally, when it's, when it's more uh, like in economics, when we're discussing a more uh, debatable topic, something where there is no right or wrong, something where we discuss the pros and cons of things and we need to, to weigh up you know, a cost benefit analysis times like that i prefer to be physically with a lecturer because i feel as a class we can more openly put our hand up and discuss ideas um, and i think doing that online would be slightly more difficult um, and so from an economics point of view i quite like it being face to face but then on the flip side from a maths point of view i think i've already said this but i've really enjoyed having the maths online because, um, you know, parts of maths are easier to understand than others. And there are some parts in maths, um, you know, where the lecturer will say something and you think, hang on, I need five minutes here to, to just go over that again and to make sure it's in my memory. And so the joy of doing it digitally is often, you know, if it's pre-recorded, you can pause it, you can rewind it, you can go over it again. Um, and so from that point of view, I think going digitally has its benefits. 
And I was just going to read Sam's comment because, again, Sam's having uh, internet connection issues. So Sam was saying, that's really interesting. As a student who lives off campus, so a commuter student, uh, the most painful bit is the travel times to and from the university. So minimizing this travel time by using blended uh, university, well, blended learning rather, would it could be really beneficial to a lot of students. And I think it doesn't matter where you study. I would agree the commute, just because it's it's just city planning, it's traffic. So it's the kind of standard, you wake up, you have a class at maybe nine or so. So you're going to have to set off either at eight or 8.30 or maybe earlier, depending on where you live. So that's a, that's another good point. Uh, and I guess argument for having more blended learning. But you're absolutely right. What Josh said, if it's the debate stuff, if it's to have that kind of closer interaction than face-to-face would be, uh, is probably a better way of doing it. Um, and that's that's how I would see it too. I would see more of learning the basics of the content, uh, you know, a subject would be, could be in a blended way. Um, that's how I've seen it done before anyway. So that's that's the main reason I asked. Um, well, I think we've come to the end of this. Uh, we can always meet again another time, but thanks both of you for joining. Thank you for having me. It was a nice chat. Okay, Oops, sorry, that's, uh, that's my bad. Um, no, as I was saying, it's been a pleasure. Uh, my microphone was switched off on my, on my mechanical bit. But no, it's been really nice. Thank you. <laughs>